welcome to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a new program featuring folks in their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser. I use he, him pronouns. In this show, I'll be speaking with millennials on their own stories, discussing issues, news, and current events, both locally and nationally, and featuring young creators who trailblaze their own paths in our modern political, economic, and social climate. Over the coming months, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. Coming up in this debut episode, you'll hear from some people telling their stories of finding their places in the world. First up. My name is Johanna Blackman. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a founding member and the executive director for Climate to Thrive, which is a nonprofit organization based on Mount Desert Island. So I grew up in primarily in New Hampshire, so neighboring, but not in Maine, um, and did spend a considerable amount of my time on the coast, but that was the coast of Connecticut um, in growing up formative years and formed a really strong bond with the coastline, the New England coastline. So, um, but the journey to Maine was certainly not planned or expected in any way for me. Um, much like my journey to my professional life right now, which, you know, I think, yeah, I think that there are people who know what they want to do and where they want to be and, and go for it their whole life. And I've loved sampling a lot of different mini lives within one life thus far has been a pleasure for me, but I, um, grew up in New Hampshire, was homeschooled actually, um, for a lot of my kind of elementary, middle and, and high school years. And then I went to Connecticut College in New London, Connecticut for graduate school um, and did some work in New York City after that in a law firm. I um, was thinking I might want to be a lawyer and realized pretty quickly working in corporate law that that, I mean, I think that there are other types of law that maybe I would have been interested in, but that was not what I wanted to do and decided I needed to have an experience that was like as juxtaposed to being in a corporate law firm in New York city as possible. So I went to Hawaii and did a yoga teacher training there. <laughs> and that was a great balance, but also um, met the man who's now my husband. And he had grown up on this place called Mount Desert Island in Maine. Um, and I had heard of it, but not to the extent that I think a lot of people have, um, I'd never been there, um, ironically for someone who grew up in New Hampshire and, um, went to visit him after we both got back to the States. And I remember, um, or to the, the continental U S, um, from Hawaii. And I remember, um, the first time I came up here, I actually took a bus, um, into, Bangor and he picked me up there and drove me through Ellsworth out to MDI and like seeing the island as, as we drove out and my gosh what an incredibly beautiful place um so kind of fell in love with him and this place simultaneously which was pretty awesome sweet experience um but we did not settle here immediately we went to graduate school in San Francisco first in and I did graduate work in counseling psychology and then as we were ending our program, we started talking about, you know, where we wanted to go next. And this, this was the top of the list. Um, so we came back here and it was not an easy transition for sure. Um, coming from San Francisco and the city and our community and our friends here. And I was about 27 at the time. 
um, and moving here to MDI in January. Um, but I am so glad that we did. Yeah, so when we first moved here, a big question for me was career. Um, two big questions were career and community. And, you know, obviously, um, MDI, like many places in Maine, gets such a boom of um, tourism in the summer and community and people come here to work for the summer and there's lots of job opportunities. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do and how I was going to fit in. And there was a solid community of young people when we first moved here, but it definitely took a long time to make those connections because people had their community and they were really tight knit. Um, so I, I did many different jobs over those first years when we lived here. I worked at Morning Glory, the bakery that used to be in Bar Harbor. I know we all miss it so much. I baked bread and I loved that. That was pretty fun. Um, and I worked for a couple of different nonprofits. I worked for the Abbey Museum in Bar Harbor. Um, and I also started working one of the early years for the New Surrey Theater in Blue Hill and loved that and actually stayed in some sort of job with them um, for what feels like a long time for my life trajectory, which was like six years or so. Um, and also worked um, at a farm, a local farm here a little bit as well. But what started to happen, it's interesting because when we were living in San Francisco, that was around the time that I started really thinking a lot about climate change. Um, we were out there during one of the first um, really dry raining seasons when it wasn't raining. It wasn't, they didn't have fire season yet when we were there, um, but it was like very odd um, atypical weather. And so my kind of awareness of there's this, there's something off was heightened in a way that I think wasn't happening as much in New England yet at that time. Um, and I started to read about it. And so as we were moving to Maine was when I was really starting to make this dive into literature on climate change and information on climate change and thinking about like how I fit into that. So it was interesting that I was simultaneously like figuring out how I fit into the main community at the same time I was figuring out how I fit into climate action um, and like how I fit into life. Like I think your late 20s are often a really um, a phase full of so many questions because people are kind of like done with school for the most part. I was like, well, what, who am I now that I'm not in that school? <laughs> you know, marching through those expected things. Um, so, you know, we, we settled here and we were both working our way into careers and into community. And I was working my way into literature on climate change. And um, we got married in 2013 and started having conversations about whether or not we we're going to have kids um and you know conversation about what it would be like to have kids here which was actually kind of a no-brainer for us um it felt like a really wonderful place to have children that they could grow up both my husband and I grew up really close to the natural world and we knew our kids would be able to do that here great schools um lack of diversity was like one of the really big things that we talked about and still talk about and it's not solved um, by a really, really long shot. And it doesn't matter how many books you read your kids, 
uh, does not do it. So um, we have to travel, you know, to to do that for our children from here. Um, but the other big thing that we were talking about was climate change. And, you know, did we want to have children? Um, did it feel responsible to have children right now? Which I think young people, people younger than myself are really, really grappling with that question. But we were too. And we ultimately decided to, we decided that, I mean, we wanted kids, um, but also both of us reflected that things are still pretty great, um, but neither of us wished that we weren't alive. Like we are happy to be here and be engaged in the work of, of trying to make things better, address challenges, um, and hoped that we could raise kids in a way that like their love of being here balanced out the challenges. Um, and I think this is a great place to do that too. That it's a place where it's easy to, to fall in love with being alive. I think there's this misperception that climate change is like far away or in the distant future, either like physically removed or, or removed in a sense of time. And that's just not the case. And so it's, it's a very interesting thing to hold to choose to give a being a life when you know that it's going to be a hard life and it doesn't matter what you do. Like, I think there's typically this sense as a parent that you can, through what you teach your kids, through working hard and saving money, through where you choose to live, through like the home you build them and the friends you give them, that you can give your child, like you can give your child a good life and, and never protect them from all the horrors, of course, but like have a sense of control around how challenging their life is going to be. And climate change has just blown that out of the water. Um, and obviously like that is something that is a privileged position to even begin to think that you could like give your child a less challenging life at all. But in climate change will impact vulnerable, already vulnerable commit communities much more than privileged communities, but it's gonna impact us all. And yeah, so it's just, it's a very interesting thing to, to bring a child into the world, knowing that not knowing like what it's going to look like, but knowing it's going to be really, really tough. So in 2015, I became pregnant with my first child. And that was the same year that a group of us here on MDI started talking more about how we were thinking and feeling about climate change. By then we had, you know, found these different little circles of community um, and we wanted to do something about it. Um, and we recognized this kind of unique opportunity of the boundaries of an island and four different towns, four super different towns, that we can maybe create some sort of a model on MDI that would, would spread to other communities. And so at the same time as my daughter was growing um, in utero, we, we all conceived of a climate to thrive. And it's grown up as my kids have grown up. And I think um, there's something really unique about what Maine, I think, does to a person's spirit. Um, there's a scrappiness and a belief that like, I can figure this out, you know, like I, I'll figure this out. I, I can, I can figure out how to do this. Um, and I think that that has served a climate to thrive really well as they've 
figured out how to transition a community off fossil fuels and um, build a lot of community ownership of clean energy in the process of doing so and try to solve other challenges in the community um, and really empower everybody, regardless of what their walk of life is, to be part of the solution. And now I see that spreading to so many other communities in Maine. And it's the same kind of like feeling of like scrappiness and and the commitment to your community that is that is prompting success in places throughout Maine when it comes to climate action. So we had our daughter and then had always, we were both, both of us have siblings and it had always felt really important that um, our child have a sibling, but it felt actually especially so because of climate change. We were like, we want her to have someone that's like her person after we're not here anymore. Um, and even when we are, cause he'll be, you know, he'll understand her more generationally than we will. Um, and, you know, both of us believe very strongly in chosen family, but yeah, for her to have her buddy who's been with her all along and they are like, so such good buddies now. So that, you know, we, that's wonderful to see. It felt really important, um, but it's been, it's hard. And so now I spend my days like either in climate work, um, which actually most of the time feels really productive and joyous and exciting um, because it's all about communities and people rallying around getting something done regardless of what is happening at the federal level or at the international level or even at the level of our state government. Like these are communities being like, you know what? Screw it, we're gonna get this done. Um, and so that feels extremely joyous. And I don't think I could have my kids if I didn't like feel that sense of hope and productivity in my work, but it is very interesting. And there are certainly moments of like incredible, um, depression and sadness and grief and anger. And then I close my computer and I go downstairs during the pandemic and <laughs> get my kids and they demand that I be fully present because they're six and three. And so I can't be thinking about climate change while I'm playing tractors. Um, and it's fantastic, but it's truly bizarre. <laughs> I think the most effective overarching thing that I could probably tell my younger self at pretty much any age is to not worry as much about how it's all gonna turn out and to trust, like to trust the process and to trust my intuition. I think I got so caught up at so many different phases in my life around worry about what was going to happen. You know, if I felt a little bit lost or if I felt unsure that I was doing the right thing or um, in the right job or at the right place, like when I've listened to my intuition, things have unfolded as they should. And this comes up so much for me having young children where I'm, you know, stressing about like, well, when are they going to learn to go on the potty? And when are they going to sleep through the night? And when are they going to learn to read? And like, ultimately I can't really make any of those things happen. And the same is true for my own development as a person, which is like much slower. I feel like in the types of things I'm talking about, realizing and learning about yourself, but yeah, just to trust the process and not to try to, not to worry as much about whether I'm gonna end up in the right place at the right time. 
You just heard from Johanna Blackman, the executive director of A Climate to Thrive on Mount Desert Island. For more information, you can visit aclimatetothrive.org. You're listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. My name's Rachel Alberry, and my pronouns are she, her. And um, I have lived in Maine my whole life, specifically the Rockland area. I've lived in Rockland and I've lived in the Orono area during college. So um, I was born in the early 80s, which means my formative years in Maine were the 90s. If I'm using the term formative years correctly, I'm thinking of like when I'm aware <laughs> of being alive and uh and you know and growing up so i i graduated from high school in rockland in 2001 and um it was probably a different rockland than what you see now rockland was a little bit more depressed when i was young um it it we had hardware stores downtown we had grocery stores downtown now it's cafes bakeries and lots and lots of art galleries and we're now the self I think we're self-proclaimed. Maybe we were actually proclaimed by the governor or somebody in the state of Maine, but we have signs saying we're the art capital of Maine, which we we do certainly have. A, we've got the we've always had the Farnsworth Museum, um, but we just we didn't have quite as many galleries. We didn't have like the Dowling Walsh and things like that that we have now, which makes us a very artsy place. Um, so I've seen our town transform quite a bit. From the perspective, if I compare myself to somebody that grew up in maybe Portland, Maine, or outside of Maine, I guess I could. This could be a rural upbringing, but I didn't see it that way because I, especially going to college in Orono, met a lot of people from northern Maine, and this is, you know, a pretty Rockland's a pretty metropolitan area in comparison to the rest of the state. Yeah, I mean, I guess growing up in in Rockland, there was a mix of, you know, you had kind of the redneck culture there and there's it's still there. And the redneck culture is kind of interesting in that it could be some self-described rednecks are very socially liberal and then and open minded people. And then some, and it's just like, I think what they consider redneck to them is that, you know, they know how to fix things. They know they're not, you know, elitist, you know, and things like that. And so they're very proud that they are self, um, you know, um, self-sufficient people, you know, and then, but then the other side of the redneck side is people that are racist, which definitely exists in this area. There are people that are, um, you know, homophobic or anti-LGBTQ, you know, so you've got that small town, small-minded side too. So, but yeah, you definitely don't want to associate being small town or self-sufficient with those things because it's really ind very individualized. Um, but you do have those two cultures coexisting, especially in mid-coast area. So, you know, growing up, I, I saw that with my classmates, you know, um, you know, uh, having a, I was definitely a liberal kid. Um, my parents were from away, so I wasn't, people pointed out that I didn't talk like kids in the area. My mom was from Massachusetts, so I sound like a New Englander, but my friends 
thought my dad sounded funny because he was from the Midwest and he didn't sound like the main dads all had like a kind of a gruff voice and a very strong New England accent. My dad had a Midwestern accent, which is very gentle and quiet. So they're like, your dad doesn't, your dad talks funny. He doesn't sound like our dads. (laughs) And later when I was in my 20s, I, I had a friend who was a fisherman who told me I sound like I was from Massachusetts. So, you know, even though I grew up here, I wasn't an established Maine family. So that that can set you apart, I think, with the locals, which I was probably more entrenched with people that had multi-generational families when I was growing up. But then when I moved into, um, you know, when I came back here, the a lot of people might in their 20s, I think, left the area. So a lot of the people I met in my 20s may have been people that moved to the area um, and, and less people that were long, long-term residents. So I did see that drain of young people from Rockland. Um, but there, then in my 30s, I, I noticed more young, and this could be anecdotal, I don't know, I haven't looked at the census see if there was a change but I felt like I was meeting in my 30s more people in their 20s and 30s moving into the area and young families wanting to live here from from other parts of the country so the demographic kind of changed from you know when I was you know growing up as a teenager and just knowing people that were multi-generational families and um not sure if it's a good or bad thing. I think it's a good thing for young people to be moving into the area for industry um, and stability. Um, you know, because you know retirees are great, but um, they're not like running our city or running our our you know economy. The it seems you know I I'm very happy to see young people come young people moving into the area um, and and keeping this town going. So um, because, you know, the young people, at least if they're doing what, what people my age were doing in their 20s, they were fleeing the area, you know, going to Portland or going out of the state, you know, and not a lot of people returning. I didn't think I knew how I could leave the area, but I also have very close with my family. So the leaving and living in another state far away from, you know, my parents and my siblings was scary. Um, and not, um, and I, and I didn't, I wasn't motivated to, um, you know, so, you know, initially my family kept me here, but also just like, I didn't have a driver's license when I finished college and I didn't have, money in the bank so like like how would I do that you know so um I think people that were highly motivated to maybe leave their you know not everybody is close with their family so people that needed to get away from their families you know would probably find friends and stuff and do what they had to do um I didn't have a motivation to try to figure out those barriers and, you know, and make, you know, choices of like couch surfing and stuff and doing what I had to do to get out of the area because, you know, I loved my family. And, you know, um, so when I came out of college, I just, you know, I, I came home, I looked for work and we were, I know that there's a lot of talk about the recession in 2008 
for people that graduated like in 2007 to 2008. I graduated college in 2005. There was a recession then too. Uh, people were underemployed. I had employers ask, I applied to work at a bank and the bank asked me why I applied to work for them. They're like, you've got a degree. Why are you applying to work for a bank? And I'm like, you are, your starting wage is much higher than any other starting wage I've been offered so far. It was a higher starting wage than like startup businesses or, you know, other businesses that were looking for people with an associate's or bachelor's degree were offering, you know, so I was like, why, why work, you know, as an assistant or in marketing for a company that's giving me, that's asking me to work for 10 or 11 an hour and isn't even offering health insurance, you know, when I could be a bank teller with benefits for $12 an hour in 2000, you know, five and seven and eight, you know. So I can't remember when I was applying to be a bank teller, but it was probably 2005. And um, so that was interesting. I actually didn't, wasn't offered that job. I think they figured once I got an opportunity, I'd leave it. But honestly, the, the economy was, the, the, what was out there for work was so bad. I probably would have been there for quite a while if I had gotten the opportunity. Um, back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, it was like go to college or fail. That was like the attitude. I think it's changed now. I think there's some recognition now how much college debt is crippling people. Um, but that that back that, that back then it was like go as far as you can. Like if if you're accepted into a top-notch college, make it work, do it, you know, go, you know, you just don't worry about the money when because it's gonna put you so far ahead. And I think that was detrimental to some people that ended up, you know, saddled with a lot of debt. I definitely knew I needed to go to college, um, but I think because, you know, I didn't, my family didn't have infinite resources. And so I knew that if I went to college, I'd have to pay the bills. I'd have to, you know, they, they'd help me with housing, you know, after college. But when I went, you know, I had, I'd have to pay those loans back. So I don't know what it's like now for kids in school. I don't know if they're still pushing the college degree. Well, I, I see Maine as a place where, um, where it's, it's changing fast. Even our climate's changing fast here. So I think a lot of people are coming to this area. And um, I think it's up for, I think it is up to the younger people here to define what we want Maine to be. You know, do you want Maine to be a seasonal home for people or do you want Maine to be a place of industry and self-sufficiency? And, you know, so I think the, I think it's, it is up to the younger people here to, to make these decisions, what we want Maine to be. And therefore you do have responsibility of maybe serving on the city council you know, serving on the school boards, you know, and these are all things I'm guilty of not taking part in. <laughs> but it's, uh, but I do think, I think this stuff is all important. And I, and I do think it's important that the people here that are the young people that are going to have their families here that are going to own homes here and live here year round and, and work and run the cities and, and run the businesses here. They need to know that they need to, um, take take hold of the state and and move it in the right direction and become active in in shaping the state's future 
You just heard from Rachel Albury. Rachel works at a nonprofit based in Rockland and is a community board member of the local volunteer-run radio station WRFR. My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and this is the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. My name is Amanda Langley. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I um, am a lifelong Mainer, pretty much. I had a brief time away, um, but I grew up and was raised in Falmouth, Maine. Um, I went K through 12 in Falmouth, Maine. Falmouth is definitely seen as a um, upper middle class, richer town these days growing up. Um, that certainly existed, but there was more of an economic spectrum growing up. Um, we were, you know, kind of lower middle class growing up, which I kind of noticed at the time, but as I've gotten older and particularly in my kind of professional sphere and uh, the education that I've gotten, you know, now I'm able to just kind of discern some of the things that were different about my family growing up than other families in terms of just socioeconomics um, and things like that. I went K through 12 in Falmouth, got a great education and was um, actually was a first generation college student in my family for a four year program which was great and was able to uh, graduate from college. And at that time, after my undergrad, I actually, I went to school in um, Hamden, Connecticut at a school called Quinnipiac University and stayed in Connecticut after that time. Um, you know, I was dating someone from there and got a good job out of college and was able to kind of start my professional life. Being away from home, I think was a good experience for me for sure. And actually made me much more appreciative of Maine when I came back, which has been about 10 years now. Um, you know, Maine can feel small um, for sure. And I think, especially when you're young, um, it feels like, I don't know, you, you just don't have the full appreciation of what's around, um, the beauty that can come with small town life. It just can feel a little bit stifling. And I think that that's kind of how it felt for me. I wanted to be far enough away in school to experience new things, but not too far. Um, and I think, you know, living for a decade somewhere else was just really helpful to me. It helped it helped me, you know, economically, professionally, and again, to have that um, appreciation of, of the state in different ways that I hadn't growing up. It just, it kind of felt repetitive growing up. Um, so it was good to have some time outside of the state. Um, I, so I worked and lived in Connecticut for 10 years, and then some different things were happening on a personal level for me and also professionally. And it seems like it might be a good time to transition back home to Maine. Um, and this was when I was in my early thirties. And 
it was a challenge to move back here, you know, in my professional life because that there were good jobs available, but it was such a different pay scale that it was hard. It was hard to swallow. Um, it made it so that, you know, I had been living, um, I'd had my own place in Connecticut for, you know, almost a decade and coming back home, I was looking at having to, you know, share housing for affordability purposes. Um, and again, that can be humbling and, and hard to swallow when you're, you know, feeling like I've been in the professional sphere for 10 years, you know, why am I going backwards? Um, but I really did want to be home and be closer to my family. And I have no regrets about coming back to Maine. It's, you know, the best thing that I've ever done. But professionally, it definitely was a setback. So, um, you know, the jobs were, were good. Um, I had opportunity. But again, being able to get back to that income level that I had come to know was different. And the economic status didn't match what really the cost of living really was here, particularly in Cumberland County, which is where I was. So it was also really hard for me coming back home in a personal sense. And in terms of, you know, I didn't have like my professional network, my work friends that had become friends friends, I was leaving them all behind when I came back home to Maine. So all of my family was here, which was wonderful um, and so great, but I hadn't really stayed in touch with people from, you know, back in the Falmouth years, K through 12. So it was also like just a huge kind of growing pain for me to not have, you know, friends my age when I came back. There were some people that I had stayed in touch with, but again, not the networks that had really that I had come to know for 10 years. So that was just another way that was very, very unsettling and, and really hard. I, I remember my, my job that I had when I, you know, first came home, it was in the same, you know, um, sector that I was working with. It was a good job. Um, it was also, you know, it was in Lewiston. So I was driving from Portland to Lewiston each way every day, which, you know, isn't horrible, but between you know the driving and dealing with the economic changes and having left my kind of personal network behind I just remember that for a couple months after moving home to Maine I would cry hour to work and I would cry the hour home from work and um, again those are just things that I look back on now because it's all been more than worth it but it was a really a really really hard transition I had more, I definitely had more appreciation for small town life, that people do know each other, that you do run into each, run into people that are friendly faces more often in the state. That was something that, you know, in my teens felt a little bit stifling, but it felt warm and welcoming when I was back home. Um, so I gained new appreciation for that. Also, I have always loved nature, but since being back home, have like really gotten into being outside as much as I can and just the absolute like natural beauty that we have around us and at every corner in Maine was something that I really did miss. Um, we, well, I, I'm, I'm worried that we, 
I know that we're becoming overdeveloped in some areas, but, you know, I grew up in an area that wasn't like that. There was open space there, you know, we had woods to play in, there were just fields of nothing. And that's something that I really appreciate that people have space, that there's, you know, untouched space left in the state. And um, that's something that nowadays with all the development happening, you know, there's good things for the economy, but I always pause because one of the things that is so beautiful to me about the state is having, you know, that open untouched space um, for people to recreate and just see and enjoy. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember that there was a certain day where I had gotten my master's degree, a new job and a promotion at, new, at the new job. And I just remember saying, okay, I've been back in Maine, I think, five, six years. And now I've finally gotten back to like my base Connecticut salary after a master's degree and several promotions. I'm back at this level. So two things. One, <laughs> one is kind of tongue in cheek, but um, the housing market is going to be crazy. So get a house, to, you know, <laughs> earlier. You waited too long. <laughs> that's, um, you know, that's a little bit tongue in cheek and commentary on things that are going on now because it's nearly impossible. And, and, you know, being, and I'm in a two income household and it's nearly impossible for us to get a house. So going back in time, I might have jumped on that um, earlier when the situation was easier. Um, but no, really, you know, the thing that I have really become more aware of and better at appreciating is actually a something that my best friend reminds me of often. Um, it's a really good mantra and it's keep your head where your feet are. Um, so when I think of that, I just think about you know, trying not to anticipate all of the challenges that are coming down the road. What, you know, what do you need to overcome in that one day, not letting the future worry you too much because things will work out and things might work out in a way that you never actually thought was possible. It, you know, what you had expected for your future could be totally different and that will still be okay. Um, that also, that mantra also helps me just appreciate what's around me, which really is something that I've come to um, really grasp onto in Maine, is that there's always something beautiful for you to find. That was Amanda Langley, director of the Maine Share program at Maine Initiatives. You can learn more at mainshare.org. This is the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. Coming up next is a segment that will be in each episode of Next Wave Radio Hour, our featured artist. This month is a local musician who is the composer and producer of Next Wave Radio's theme song. My name is Zeke Zacharidis. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I am a drummer and producer currently based in Blue Hill, Maine. Uh, I've been making music for most of my life, 
uh, started playing hand percussion in community drum circles and then moved into, you know, just community based music. And then it really developed into the passion that eventually took shape into what is now uh, shaping into my career. Um, I graduated George Stevens Academy in Blue Hill uh, in the spring of this past year and have been taking this whole year off to travel and to gig and see the world and, and develop my career as a musician before I head to school. So this year uh, I took multiple trips back and forth to Detroit where I do a lot of music work out of with a collective, uh, shout out to Rare Sounds World. They're a super cool collective of artists and producers out there. And then also recently touring as the drummer with the Oshima Brothers, which has been a really wonderful experience. I love their work, I love their music and it's been an absolute pleasure having them invite me to join the band. So that's really been a blast. I was really pumped Pepin when you reached out for me to do the music for the show because a lot of what I do is playing live as a drummer. Uh, I'm sort of trained, my roots are in jazz, but a lot of what I play these days is, is uh, more funky and, and a little bit towards the soul pop and R&B side of things. Um, but I also do a lot of work as a producer. And for me, that often means producing demo records that I'll then pitch to different artists around the country and around the world, uh, both that I produce solo or with friends or other musicians. Um, and the goal of that sort of production is to put a record together, put a track together and pitch it to an artist who might want to lay vocals. And then it becomes a collaborative process, which is a very interesting way to go about things. Um, so sort of creating uh, from nothing with someone in mind and then seeing where it will go. So as a producer, I work alone in my home studio. I often work collaboratively, but a lot of what I do is solo. And the process for that is I basically loop and layer everything. So for the intro music to this show, I started with that piano part. And then on top of the piano part, I added the bass part. I usually go for a melodic element and then low end and then I think about rhythm. So then after that, uh, I thought about what I needed for a rhythmic element and I didn't want to add in drums because I liked that sort of laid back vibe. So I used a rhythmic piano part instead that kept the pulse and then a couple other uh, cymbal swells to build tension. Then I added a light ride cymbal at the end to sort of drive the pulse forward as we moved into the segment where you'd be talking, it sort of moves things forward and sort of cues you into something's happening and then the something rather than in a normal song would be the singer starts singing or the drums come in. In this case, it's you start talking and we go into the show. Being based in Maine has also been a really wonderful experience and I think very formative uh, on my growth as a musician. Interestingly enough, because oftentimes when I tell people I'm based in Maine, artists I'm working with and so forth, uh, rural Maine, they're sort of confused as to what's going on out here. You know, and, and at face value and the sort of like big moving production world or, or music scene, you might not think there's a lot going on, but there's really so much here in terms of like wonderful creative people who are, you know, up here doing what they do. People like Paul Sullivan and Paul Stuckey who are up here doing wonderful music things. Uh, and also lots of young people like myself who are up here making music in our basements. And, you know, there are lots of songs that I've started in my basement in Blue Hill and then got a chance to perform in front of 600 people in Detroit. And it's it's this wonderful time where we live in the digital age where it's all so accessible to work with people and, and to make music. And then it's a really fun experience when I get to take that out into the world. 
I do definitely see myself having an ongoing connection to Maine. I do sort of see it kind of like a launch pad, um, but a really wonderful one that I have so much, you know, love for. It's not the attitude of, oh, I got to get out of here. It's sort of more like this place has been wonderful. And I feel like what I'm doing, I'm sort of outgrowing, out, outgrowing it. Um, and I'm excited to have it as a wonderful place to come back through throughout my life and these people and, and everything. But my plan for the fall is at the end of next month, I go off to start my first year at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. I'm going to be a performance major, so I'll be studying uh, performance on drum set all day, every day. Uh, I'll be continuing my production work as well, hopefully working as a, as a live musician as well as a studio musician, both as a producer and a drummer. I think I would have told my younger self, just have faith in yourself and trust the journey and really enjoy it. Because especially with something like music, once you decide that it's going to be your career and your job, it very quickly, there becomes a lot of pressure, a lot of self-doubt. There's imposter syndrome and you feel like you might not be deserving of the success you're getting or the shows you're playing. And I think I... I think I've learned and grown into just really enjoying the journey. And if I feel like I'm having a bad day and I'm really bad at the drums that day, I sort of take that as a moment to know, like, let's work through it. For anyone who's interested in getting into music, we live in an incredible age to do so. And everything is so accessible. If you have a computer of any kind, you can download free programs that allow you to make music. You can do it on your phone. You can look up things on YouTube, resources for how to do everything. So it's really an amazing time if you've been thinking about wanting to get into making or recording music. We live in an incredible time and I would encourage everyone who wants to to just get out there and do it. That was Zeke Sacaritas. You can find more about Zeke and hear some more of his music on Instagram at Zeke underscore Sacaritas. That's Z-E-K-E underscore S-A-C-A-R-I-D-I-Z. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser, and this is the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. Over the course of putting the show together, I was struggling to find a through line to tie it all together and put a nice bow on a complex and vast subject. In the end, I decided to play some of the show for my best friend and to talk over the points brought up during some of the interviews. Hi, I'm Pepin's best friend. My pronouns are him. <laughs> My name is Brett Finney. My pronouns are he, him. So one of the, the quotes that kind of struck me from Johanna, sort of as a, almost a t an episode title, um, she said, she mentioned the journey to Maine. And I think that was really great because for the most part, a lot of your guests this episode either aren't from Maine, spent a lot of time out of Maine, or their parents aren't from Maine. I think exclusive, like that's everyone that was on this episode. I mean, that's everybody involved. That's you and that's me as well. Yeah. You know, my parents are definitely not from Maine. Yeah. Yours are not from nope, Maine. I'm not from Maine. You're not from Maine. Yeah. Um, I'm not from Maine. Just so people, I'm from Massachusetts. I moved here eight years ago uh, because of college and I stayed here because of a girl and started working in Bar Harbor when I was pretty young because apparently it was a good way to make a lot of money and Frankly, it was, and it wore me out <laughs> a lot. And you are no longer. I am no Bar longer Harbor. working in Bar Harbor. No, I'm working at the Blue Hill Co-op in Blue Hill, Maine. Johanna's quote about Journey to Maine, I think, is central to most of my notes, um, talking about 
um, how it's not easy to transition to anywhere, um, but distinctly Maine as well. It, it wasn't easy for her to come here um, and sort of ingratiate herself with this um, experience. And Amanda as well, being you know a, a true Mainer in the sense of the word, um, she still left for college for what was it ten ten years or something like that. And yeah. Um, coming back was was tough especially with the sort of economic shift that she experienced returning to maine um comparing it to connecticut where has she had been that yeah. maine is a lovely place to live it is a beautiful place to be it is a really hard place to arrive and conversely i'm from northern massachusetts uh pretty close to boston um where things were really you know infrastructure was great i mean Massachusetts was one of the first places settled in this country. There are, there's a lot of dense population there. Yeah. We, there's no, I mean, of course, Massachusetts has its agriculture in Western Mass, but along the coast, it's, it's brick buildings that used to be tanneries. It's the, the birthplace of the Coast Guard. It is built up. It is not spread out in the slightest. And so yeah. um, my grandparents lived down the street from me. My school was... 20 minutes away it it was very tight and main moving here of course i love it yeah but, but things are really spread out um and like you you tell your friends like oh i'm only an hour away and that's fine yeah that's, that's pretty normal that's fine for some reason like oh this this really important service or or, or resource is three hours away sure what no like yeah. that's that's nuts to, to me anyway yeah um another yeah, thing that uh, amanda mentioned one of the quotes that she said was why am i going backwards um, oh. when she moved back to maine economically speaking i mean the the trade-off at least from what i gathered listening to um the material was that it was a it was a trade-off between her family and money yeah and exactly. that's that's a choice that all of us face especially at our age you know my parents just moved to arizona i'd love to go visit them frequently planes are expensive <laughs> <laughs> um and this isn't exactly like the the place to get rich and another kind of quote that she said which was keep your head where your feet are because that's so very true that when I when I moved to Maine um, for college and then left college, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, my parents, according to them, just happened to move to Maine at the same time I did. I do not believe that. I believe they moved here because I did. But you know, once I left college and moved back with them, I didn't know what I was doing. I my my head was not where my feet were. I was thinking about the connections I had in Massachusetts, the friends I still had in high school, the people I knew, the the mall down the street that I knew I could buy things at. And suddenly I was in Jonesport, Maine, population about 1,300, where their biggest business is the fact that there is a Coast Guard station and a place that builds lobster traps. It was really cool, but it was, yeah, it was it is a huge big culture shock. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And so my first job after college was working at a lobster trap factory. It's primarily staffed by people that would normally be lobstering in the main season. And this is their off season. And so they 
they spend the season, you know, folding wire with these big presses and tying knots in, in the heads and all that. And it's a very strange, eclectic group of people that I really learned a lot from in terms of adjusting to Maine, um, how to properly drive in the snow, uh, what to do with if you hit a deer. That's bringing your head to where your feet are. Exactly. That was sort of the, the moment for me is, is where I adjusted to Maine. And it was <laughs> desperation in a way um, because I had to do something with my time instead of languishing away in my in my house wishing i'd still been in college and not a failure um well that's a part that rachel was talking about you know the the necessariness of college mm -hmm. in these days you know mm -hmm. back then when she was going to college it was yeah. very necessary i, I mean she was questioning its its validity at that point even but I, now i wrote it down she she said go to college or fail those were the options right yeah yeah like and you still hear that sometimes. It's it's lessened. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely I definitely had some of that pressure. Not gratefully, not from my parents. My parents were very understanding, but the the college pressure was still definitely there from other places. Yeah, I still feel it within myself. This desire to prove that I know what I'm doing. And so we, after working at the the lobster trap place, um, for okay money, bought my first car drove around, had a good time. I moved towards Bar Harbor for more, you know, economic choices in a way, and also to move out of my parents' house. Huge deal. And I still believe that Bar Harbor is a powerful place, and all of MDI in general, is a powerful place to make a lot of money and to meet a lot of people. Oh, yeah. In the winter, especially, when all the tourists are gone and the only people that are there are the people that are that just are, are recovering from working a full year and pleasing, what was it? What was it last year? Like 2 million people? Coming into Acadia. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Like 2 million people visiting a national park. And these people are just recovering from that over the winter. There's a huge sense of camaraderie. You know, you, you'd go over each other's houses, you'd hang out, you'd, you'd just sort of relax. And then next year it would all happen again. 2 million people would walk into the national park and you'd take care of them. Something else um, Rachel spoke about was in regards to the college thing is that college debt is a huge deal, but she was specifically talking about in the past, but I believe it still exists, that there's sort of this rush to get to college and not think about money and that and something along the lines of you go as far as you can with what you have and then you go a little more, which is, is a terrifying prospect that people our age are, are forced by themselves into this position of tremendous debt in order to satisfy either within themselves or within their parents or within society this desire to be or seem educated and of course it's hugely important there's far-reaching climate issues and social economic issues and societal issues that do require a certain degree of expertise and skill and learning but the fact that we're all supposed to just uh, accept whatever payment must be made in order to get those degrees is nuts. Yeah. And yet we all do it. You go to high school. Maybe you buy a car. You go $120,000 into debt. You get a nice job. Wait, what, back up. What was that? You know, I wanted to come down and, and talk to you about all of this because I'm still at a little bit of a loss for what this show is about. 
what the show means Mm -hmm. and what I'm trying to do with it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I'm too close to it. What is this show about? Hmm. For me, at least in this first episode, and of course you could steer away from this in later episodes, but this first episode is about, to me, the journey to Maine, both coming here for the first time and returning here after some amount of time away and how easy or hard or good or bad it is to return to Maine. It's highlighting the difficulties of young people in this state. Um, No, I like that. That's very, I mean, we're all journeying to Maine in some way. I've never left Maine, but I am still learning Mm -hmm. about my home state every day. One of the notes that I wrote down while listening to Rachel was that she didn't directly say this, but it's sort of like I felt it is that Maine is like a big funnel. Somehow we all keep ending up in Maine. Yeah. And of course there's a bias because we're in Maine. So of course the people around us are in Maine. Right. Um, But more than that, people on vacation, they come to Maine. It's on the freaking license. Can I say freaking? (laughs) Yeah. People come here and sometimes they stay, but people are always coming to Maine. Yeah. I don't know. I'm rambling. That's perfect. Oh, great. I like that. Cut. (laughs) Can I say cut? Am I allowed? If there was one thing that you know now that would have been useful to you five years ago, 10 years ago, whenever that you know point in time might be, what would you go back and tell yourself back then? Don't work as hard. And I'm still telling myself that every day. And yet I do. That especially in a state like this where you're surrounded with such natural and wonderful beauty, sometimes you really just got to slow down and look around. Get your head where your feet are. Whoa. Wow. Thank you so much for being on here with me. This gave me a lot of insights and was really helpful. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and this has been Next Wave Radio Hour. I want to give a huge thank you to my guests, Amanda Langley, Rachel Albury, Johanna Blackman, Zeke Sakaridis, and Brett Finney. Thank you to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Sakaridis. You can find the archive of this show at weru.org and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. Next Wave Radio Hour airs on the fourth Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Until next time, stay safe out there.